0: Hi and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 63, Exploring Curiosity and Nature Journaling with Bethan Burton. So welcome back once again. I hope you're doing well. Just a few updates before we get into the show itself. The big thing is that this is a very special episode. So my guest this week is a podcaster with a wonderful podcast, which we'll learn about a little bit later. And I reached out to her about doing like a crossover slash collab experience, and we did that. So she joined me on my podcast to talk about her art and her journey, as well as her podcast, and I was a guest on hers. So I encourage you to, once you're done listening to this, head over and check hers out. If you're coming from listening to hers, (laughs) then welcome. I do a few updates here at the beginning, and then we'll dive right into the interview. So it was, it was really wonderful to be able to chat with somebody where I had so many connections uh, in both art and podcasting, and uh, through the uh, the multiple hours that we chatted <laughs> between both episodes, it was, uh, it was great. And so I'm hopeful you're going to enjoy not only this one, but uh, the one over on her channel as well. So please let us know, and yeah, so uh, before we get into the actual interview itself, I wanted to talk about a few things. It is Inktober time. So I know many of you are following these daily prompts for Inktober. I know there are many other uh, prompt lists out there. There is Peptober and uh, Frogtober, Treetober, all of these um, drawing prompts that are available. So you can take a, a word a day and draw something and share it on Instagram or Twitter or wherever you choose to, and you can do that with ink or digital or watercolor. I just think these are great. I had these huge plans for Inktober (laughs) that I was going to do, and uh, they've basically fallen apart. So I do art in my spare time, and I have so many things that I've committed to, and I have a day job as well that's drawing a lot of my time recently. So I've had to, I did one prompt, which was Crystal, and I think I may do a few through the month, but I'm going to officially bow out of doing it every single day. It's been hard, because I've done it the last three years, but I just don't have the bandwidth right now, and uh, I think sometimes we have to say no, and I had to say no, and it was hard, and it still is hard, seeing all these wonderful posts from people. I feel like I'm outside of the game, but uh, i I'm so encouraged by all the creativity that I see around me. It's wonderful. So uh, I will be doing a few prompts. I think I'm planning on doing one on Tuesday this week. If you're listening for this uh, episode coming out October 4th, I will be doing one, I think October 5th with a couple of other artists on Instagram, and I may do uh, a few more after that. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, uh, loving Tober. I'm so glad if you're doing it, that you are doing it. And uh, please uh, tag me if you can. I'd love to see what you're doing for Inktober or Peptober or <laughs> Treetober or whatever promptless list you've decided to do. So a couple of the pieces I've worked on since the last episode. I did a quick rhino sketch. It was World Rhino Day. So I've wanted to do a rhino for a long time. So this was an opportunity for me to sketch one up quickly. I think I'm going to come back to it and do a larger piece. Spend a little bit more time with uh, the texture and the detail. I, you know, this is one of those animals that has been on my list to draw just simply because of the complexity, I think, in trying to render this in either pencil or colored pencil. I'm not sure what I'll do when I finally come back to it, but we'll see. So I did do the rhino. I'm working on some ducks right now. I have a nature journal. I call it a nature journal, maybe it's not, but it is It is a series of pages about nature, and it's in a journal. But uh, I spend a little bit more time on each of these pages. This time I am doing a hooded merganser, so I'm doing it at different stages. I'm doing the male, the female, and uh, the nest box. These are all photos I've taken around our pond. So this is the ducks that make our pond home every spring. I'm doing it with colored pencil once again. I may do the next piece in watercolor i'm not sure but i've had questions about how i've rendered the green around this uh, the female that i've completed you can see that on my instagram feed i will link to all of this in the show notes so you can check it out there but um, maybe what i'll do is i'll do a, a couple of live draws around this piece so i will schedule them so that you'll know when they're coming and then you can drop in and i'll share some of my thoughts around how i mix the colors uh, I don't I do think there's anything magical around it. I, It's one of those things that I do, and I probably need to think how I do it to explain how I do it. <laughs> but uh, I'm really enjoying these colored pencils, so I'd be quite willing to share what I know and, and all of that as I'm doing it on Instagram. I'm probably going to do some live draws outside of Instagram just with the changes in the algorithm. I think I may do more on YouTube in the future. But for now, that's where you can find me, and uh, I'll cover this in more detail in a future episode, I think, as well. So the other thing that I did since the last episode is I launched my first collection of NFTs. And for those of you who don't know, NFT stands for non-fungible token. I will have a future podcast episode where I kind of explore this in detail. So basically, what it is, it allows uh, creatives, whether you're a visual artist, a musical artist, it allows you to take those digital assets you've created a drawing in Procreate, something in Photoshop, a video you've created, a music uh, track or album, and you're able to post them into the blockchain and sell them. And so there's some complexity around this. It's still kind of volatile, uh, but I thought I'd kind of explore this space and the best way to do it was to create my first collection. So a collection is simply that, a series of pieces. My first collection is a series of six butterflies. It's called Digital Emergence, and it's on OpenSea, which is one of these NFT platforms. And so I have six butterflies, and there are four editions of each, so a total of 24. And um, I've put them up for sale. I have The link is in my uh, Instagram profile as well as Twitter. And if you go to my online shop at shop.mikehenley.com, you'll see NFTs as a menu item at the top, so you can get to it that way as well. So I'm just exploring this. It's not, I'm not going to recommend this for many people because it is, um, there's some complications around it as a creative, but I think for those who want to explore it, it is worth exploring. I don't think it's a space you need to be in necessarily, but um, it was kind of fun going through it. I'm a techie, so I enjoyed that element of it. So I'm going to try and cover this in a future episode. Have an artist come on, we'll talk NFTs and whether it's something you need to consider whether you are just doing analog art or you're doing analog and a mix of digital, we will uh, cover that out and see if it's uh, if it's something worth pursuing or considering and explaining kind of the whole thing behind it as well. So I just wanted to share that I launched my first collection. We'll circle back to that in a future episode. So I think that's it for updates. Uh, let's head into the interview. I discovered my guest this week through her podcast when I recently started digging deeper into nature journaling. Her podcast, Journaling with Nature, has been a joy to listen to with inspirational guests from around the globe. Each episode in her catalog is a solid connection back to observing and documenting the natural world around us. She even decided to create an international journaling week to bring people together around this very special creative and educational activity for all ages. To talk about her creative journey, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Bethan Burton. Hi, Bethan. How are you?
1: Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for having me here.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. It's uh, you're on the other side of the world, I think, from me in Australia. You're just outside of Brisbane, right? Is your location exactly? Yes. So, is it is it winter there now? Like, what time of year are we talking about?
1: Yeah, we're coming into spring, so we're in that weird phase where you think it's warm again, and then suddenly it's cold. We go back and forth between the between the two for a little while at this time of year.
0: That's cool. (laughs) I thought that would be interesting to mention when we start getting into talking about the nature journaling, understanding that I'm in fall and you're coming into spring, so some of the topics and some of what we see may be a bit different. So, Yes. I've been following you for a while because of your podcast. So you do a podcast, Journaling with Nature, that I just adore. I think it's wonderful, and I heard you talking through some of your guests with some of the topics in in journaling and journaling with kids and... Uh, I look at your Instagram feed, and it just blew my mind with the work that you produce. And I decided to take a chance and say, you know, Bethan, can, can we do a little bit of a collab? Um, so that's what we're going to do. You're on this podcast to talk about your journey and your podcast. And then I'm going to be on your podcast to talk about my journey and my podcast. And we're releasing these at the exact same yes. time. So if you're hearing this... There is another whole other podcast (laughs) (laughs) for you to listen to after this if you choose to. So I think that's fine. I'm so
1: glad you reached out to me. I was thinking exactly the same thing. I've been following you too. And I think it's a wonderful way to get to know each other and get our listeners to know each other as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a huge, like when I listen to to your content, there are guests that I would love to have on and you cover content that's a little bit different. I think that if you're listening to this podcast, Bethan's podcast is going to slot right in and uh, be important for you to listen. And you do this every week, right?
1: I do. Yeah, Yeah. every Monday morning.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So I'm going to start, like I start with every guest, and wondering about your kind of your origin story. Where did you come from? This idea of journaling or drawing or art, was it something that, you know, we all do it as a kid, but is it something that you pursued through uh, high school and into university, or is it something you came back to? Like, what's your story around that?
1: Yeah. So yes, I remember being like really free as a kid. And then there definitely was a period where I stopped. And then around age 14, I had this experience where I just wanted to start again. I wanted to be able to draw. And I had that feeling inside me that a lot of people have that I can't do this. I'm not good at it. And there was someone in my life at that time who had experience and said to me, this isn't something you're born with. This is something that you practice and get better at and you can easily do that. And just that voice and that idea that just sit down with something and don't, don't draw what you think you see, just draw what you see. And I, sa- I remember s- really clearly sitting down at that age, 14, and drawing what I saw and being really surprised by what came out that it actually looked like what I was observing and and having had that feeling in me like oh this is a talent I don't have it and then to see that spark oh actually just sitting down and doing that it made me realize yeah this is something that you can practice and get better at and so from there I Found a program. I've actually changed schools so that I could go to a program where I could do two art classes in high school. Awesome. And there was a a visual art class and a fine art class, and I took both of them. I loved it. And I really wanted to study art at university. I just put one thing down on my choice list of universities. It turns out that it was actually the wrong course for me. I started it. I hated it. (laughs) I wanted to learn, like, fine art skills, and it was actually – a program that was more about installation art. And um, I just really remembered this lecturer. He said that he felt like the artist who drew Ren and Stimpy was more relevant to us than Michelangelo. And, and it was that comment that stuck in my <laughs> mind and I thought, this isn't the class for me. <laughs> right. And so I left. And so I went travelling then and I did a big overseas experience for a couple of years and then I came back to Australia, and I actually studied then in, uh, ecology and conservation biology at uni. So I didn't go back to art school, but I always had that inside me since that beginning at 14. And, and so then after that I studied a Master of Environmental Education and then I came to this point where I'm sort of combining art and my science studies together, which is the perfect perfect point for me.
0: <laughs> I think it's wonderful. I love to see this kind of science communication and for it to be so colourful and engaging and based on fact. And, you know, I just, I, I, I find it so compelling and I, it's great to see so many artists doing this. And I say artists, if you've done this once, I call you an artist. Like if you are taking it on, that's fantastic. Now, is this this idea of combining science and illustration is this recent or how long ago did you pull them together and start doing the doing journaling
1: yeah so oh well thinking of origin stories so this happened that my dad one day came over and he had this little book and it was old computer paper i don't know if your listeners remember this with the the holes dot the dot matrix (laughs) 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 and so it was like four or five sheets of computer paper all sewn together with a piece of twine and and on the front it says Bethan's flower book and it is actually my very first nature journal i don't remember it my dad stashed it somewhere and brought it out recently and and inside it oh my gosh so inside it it's got diagrams and it's got labels and it's it is a nature journal and so in my subconscious I was doing it back then when I was however old seven or eight um (laughs) but my first so that was a that was a special find that was felt like a real treasure unearthing a treasure but my first nature journal was kept at university in 2002 I guess we went on a a field trip to the rainforest in Borneo and we had to keep a field journal, which was very special. That was my first formal uh, nature journal. But my sort of latest iteration of it came about um, 2012. And it came to me because I was going through a period of being very, very unwell and I had Chronic fatigue. I was just going through so much stuff and my body wasn't well. I couldn't do anything. I was bed bound. And but I could go out into my garden some days on my good days. I would go out into the garden and I started observing and using these moments with nature as a way of being in the present and keeping calm and also keeping connected. And so It was at this point that I started combining words and pictures and numbers on my page, and it was just a revelation. It was just something that just helped me so much in that, which was like the darkest period of my life, and it helped me – it helped my nervous system be calm and it helped me feel like I had a purpose. And I just felt like, yes, this is what I want to do. This is combining science and art together in a way and at that time I wasn't doing it for any other reason apart from to stay connected to life and stay connected to the world and to have something to do with my days but it helped me so much that I had this thought in my mind I want to do this as my job I want to do this as my way of expressing myself in the world and, my, and I want to share it with other people and so around that time, oh, I did it for a few years just personally. And, mm-hmm. then, and then I had this feeling like I want to share this with people. So I started putting things on Instagram without any real thought about what it was going to be. And then I just did that more and more and I found this amazing community there, amazing community of artists and nature lovers and scientists. And it just grew and grew and grew from there. And then... I started getting people asking me to do workshops and, and then, yeah, it just grew out of that. It just grew out of this incredible need within myself to connect with nature, to be calm and to express myself. And then it, now it's grown into something <laughs> beautiful.
0: That's awesome. I, I love that you shared that. Um, I think that, I mean, it's coming from a very special place. I can appreciate everything that you're saying about this connection with nature and the calming effect. Um, You know, I, we live in the country. I'm not far from downtown Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada. And I find that, I mentioned this in a previous podcast, if I get outside of the car and I put my feet on the ground, I can feel the hum of the city. Mm -hmm. Like it's bothersome almost. It's, It's like you're standing on something that's moving. And then I come out here and I put my feet down and it feels like, the earth is, is happy. It's sleeping. And you have an opportunity then to lift your head up and look around if you're not looking at your phone. And uh, I'm so glad that nature was able to pull you away from what you were going through at the time. And I think that's that's special and I think people need to hear that because you don't and this will touch on another point you said, like the whole talent thing, people think, Oh, mm-hmm. I you know, you mentioned this in a recent podcast, you know. I draw like a seven-year-old. Well, that's that's when you last started, yeah. draw, or that's when you when you stopped. That's drawing. when you stopped, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think that this is. I I just love your enthusiasm and your subjects are around us all. So I think this is uh, important for people to hear.
1: Yes, and I love to talk about that because sometimes people say oh, I live in a city or I don't have nature near me. And I think it's really important to remember that you can find nature. Nature, if you look up, you're, you can see nature in the sky and you can even see nature in your own body. We are part of nature. Our bodies are part of nature. And you can take a walk down the street and you can see nature pushing its way through the city in so many ways in the cracks in the sidewalk and. You know, you can go to a city park and there's amazing amounts of nature there. So once we start to get in this way of looking around for nature, uh, we realize that we can access it wherever we are.
0: That's wonderful. In Brisbane, in your area, is there a time of year that you enjoy more than others when you're journaling?
1: That's so interesting. And it's interesting that you brought up the seasons because I think a lot about seasons because I interact a lot with in North America and other places where the seasons are very distinct and here in Australia in Brisbane in particular we're in, in the subtropics and so the seasons aren't very obvious it starts to get a bit colder in the winter and there are definite times of year when things are blooming or not blooming but everything is evergreen so our trees don't lose their leaves um, and you have to be in tune. You really have to start noticing the little changes because it's not like all the leaves become bare in one season as it does right. in North America. Yeah, and so I love tuning into what's happening now, and it's, it's subtle. It's a subtle difference, but it's, uh, it's something I think a lot about because, yeah, we have inherited this idea of four seasons from – from the colonists who colonised Australia, but it's not really relevant to here. And so I feel like part of my job in, in this life is tuning into my place and the seasons here and what that really means. Four seasons is something I have in my mind, but it's not very, it's not very relevant to the subtropics. So I love to, to tune in and think about the seasons. And one season that I absolutely love uh, journaling is in the in – June and July, a lot of the wattles start blooming and wattles, the genus is acacia and it's got these amazing yellow blossoms that just, that it just reminds me of childhood and just the scent wafting around in the air. And yeah, there's, there's so much to see, but it's, the, the changes are more subtle than they are in other places.
0: So you're judging it based on, you know, what flowers are coming up? Maybe the, the animals that are, you know, having their families at certain times of the year, it's, I, I think that's interesting. I would, you know, personally, I think I would miss the obvious seasons, even if I went further south in North America, I think I would probably be more flexible going to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the diversity of the wildlife and the flowers and the trees and everything else would just keep me occupied for years. uh, Yeah,
1: I've been thinking about um, making a phenology wheel of my area. And for those who don't know, a phenology wheel, phenology is the study of the seasons and the changes that happen through the year. And so Mm -hmm. a phenology wheel is a circle that's divided into segments. And you might have one for each month of the year. And then in each of those segments, you can do a nature journal or a, a painting that represents what's going on in nature at that time and I've been thinking of doing one for Brisbane and I was, I've been thinking what are, the, what are the actual things that change through the year and the different months and one of them that we're experiencing right now is magpie season and the magpies are nesting right now and when they are nesting, like, oh, they are monstrous. So- <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, <So> what- they <laughs> – What do they do? they bomb dive they they oh, really? swoop so viciously that um and and people might have seen i don't know but um brisbane bike riders they have their helmets on and they they tie cable ties sticking straight up like a foot above the helmet all over like a spiky helmet and it's it's only to protect them from magpies.
0: (laughs) I I thought there was something else going on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we have one that um, is nesting at the end of our street. And so this is what happens. So uh, you get a collection, you end up getting a collection of sticks at one end of this uh, magpie zone and a collection of sticks at the other end of the magpie zone. And a walker, a pedestrian will grab a stick (laughs) and shield their heads using the stick, (laughs) and then put it down at the other end of this magpie zone, and (laughs) yeah, it's crazy. crazy. Yeah, completely crazy. And so this is one of the things that is really characteristic of Brisbane, and there's a whole lot of other things. It really is something that I've been thinking a lot about. How how do I notice the changes in the season, and being viciously swept by magpies is one of them. (laughs)
0: I love that. And I've seen those helmets. I never really put much thought into why it was. I thought it was, um, you know, people, uh, I did, I don't know, tinfoil hat, kind of like, I didn't like know what was alien, going on. Like exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no clue. It was tiny birds. That's funny. We don't have that problem. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, everyone thinks that Australia is like this, the land of deadly creatures. And recently I had someone say, are you serious? You get Attacked by birds as well as all the other stuff. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, I've seen the spider stuff and everything else, and it's uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. This blows my mind. So Australia has a reputation for being dangerous, but we don't have predaceous mammals that can jump out and attack us in the woods. And <laughs> to me, that's much more dangerous than a than a redback spider. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't
0: know. I think if. Mm. Die quickly or die slowly, I'm not sure which <laughs> one.
1: <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. No, but having said that, um, yeah, we've had a brown snake on the doorstep and they're one of the most dangerous snakes. I guess it's just normal for us, but...
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, it's setting the bar right, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I never really thought, I mean, I hear people say it about Australia, but... Um, I mean, and I drove a motorcycle for years, and I'm just, I've seen how people drive, and so I'm, I think, more worried about the humans than the animals.
1: You're 100% right. Yeah, I completely agree. (laughs) Yes,
0: exactly. So maybe we can get, because we've talked about nature journaling without having defined it. Yes. So I would love for you to define what you consider to be nature journaling.
1: Yes. So nature journaling is the practice of closely observing nature. And I love to say it's experiencing the world with intentional curiosity. So we can have this mode that we switch into where we are in curious mode. And when you go out, you can start to be curious about everything, even things that you feel like you think you know or you've seen a million times before. When you switch into this intentional curiosity mode, you can find things in a banana that you've never seen before, or a blade of grass. or So switching into this intentional curiosity and capturing our nature observations on paper. And so we do this, and we, we do this using any combination of words, pictures, and numbers. So nature journaling definitely isn't just an art exercise. In fact, I, I really try to remove that idea that it's, it's about making art, because that can block people, it can intimidate people. Pictures is one of the tools that we use, but we also use words and we use numbers. So each of these three things captures something new about nature, about what we're observing. So if you, so for example, if you take a flower and you're observing a flower, you can draw a picture of it and that captures a whole lot of information. It, it captures the shape and the color and the details. And then, if you start to add labels to that, you can capture all sorts of other things about it with words that pictures can't capture, so you're sort of layering on this these observations using words and pictures, and then numbers is a whole other layer of exploration, and you can use uh you can count things, you can measure things, you can estimate an area, or you can estimate the number of birds in a flock that you're that you're seeing overhead, and so this combination of words, pictures and numbers is really powerful for building up really rich nature observations and and capturing that in some way on the page.
0: That's a wonderful explanation. <laughs> Cuz I was, you know, I just had somebody on talking about we were talking about sci art and scientific illustration and as you're talking about it, I am thinking about not just, you know, capturing the bee or the flower but coming at it maybe with it being more of an informative piece and making notes about what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing. I think the thing that I find hardest as a human <laughs> is altering our the observational point that we have from the macro to the micro, uh, zooming in and out, and being able to take in everything around us, and then zooming in on you know to that that stamen on the flower, whatever the case. Do you have any comments about that? Because that transition could expose some really interesting things, but I find it hard to do.
1: Yeah. So that is one really fundamental activity in nature journaling that we often refer to as zoom in, zoom out. And you've you've, um, captured it really well that you can... So one activity that's really useful for nature journaling is to, say, take a flower and... Do your observations and your exploration of the flower as it is in real size, I I could say, and then zooming in. So you might draw a little arrow out. Often I draw a circle and then I draw an arrow to what I'm zooming in on Mm -hmm. and then I will capture details. And I love to use magnifying tools for this. I, I use jeweler's loops or microscopes or even just a hand lens to capture the details and capture that in that little circle and then zooming out. So you might draw the flower in its ecosystem or, in it, or just in its wider environment. So you might draw the field of flowers or the, the garden where, it, where you found it. And that's a lovely way of, of training the brain to look at something in different scales and I must say my favourite is the micro scale. I just love that for some reason because to me that's where all these amazing things that you haven't seen before happen because you're you're up there with your hand lens and and just discovering details. Like when you use a hand lens or a loop to look at the stamens on a flower, often they're really different or the reproductive parts of a flower are super different from flower to flower and you never see it unless you get up close you never see it unless you have this this mindset of intentional curiosity and diving into that and i love nature journaling because it it makes me feel that i'm in this world of wonder because we uh, as humans can just walk through life and be thinking about the bills or you know what i said yesterday i shouldn't have said that or you know all these mm-hmm. things that we, go, that we go through in our minds. But instead we can fall into this place of realising like everything around me is this wonderland of amazement. And when you tune into that, it just makes life so joyful because you realise I'm, <laughs> I'm in this wonderland every single day and I have the ability to to drop into that and to take it in. And when you start taking it in, it, it's, it's a never-ending place of exploration. I love that. And I, th- I do think it's something you practice. You practice dropping into that place because just like mindfulness is a practice, you can practice being curious. You can practice living from that point of wonder. And it's, it, it's a really positive, wonderful place to live. <laughs>
0: I'm going to have to get outside again soon. <laughs> <laughs> You're winding me up here about looking at my, uh, the flowers before they disappear in the fall. Yeah. Are you interested in the experience being a lived experience or do you, is it okay to use photographs to pull some of this together? Is it a combination of both? Like, do you go out in the field and take a photo and draw as, draw as much as you can in person? So how does that, how do you work photos with the real life stuff?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And for me, as someone who teaches nature journaling, I really don't like to have a definition that is too boxed. I much prefer to say that if you're connecting with nature, you're learning something and you're having a positive experience that's deepening your understanding connection with nature, you do that however you want to do it. And so some people have mobility issues and they can't get out and about. They can't crouch down on the ground and dig around in the dirt. And so for them, photographs might be the way to connect with nature. And that's beautiful. And others may feel that they want to do everything outside. And that's beautiful too. And so I really believe that it is whatever, it's, whatever feels best for you, whatever is – the way that is going to deepen your connection with nature—that's perfect. And so, but for me, I do a combination, and I often start out in the field, and I'll be sketching and drawing in the field, and then my son will call me, or it will be time to do something else, and I'll come in, and my page is half finished, and so I'll snap a photo or two, and then I will add details. Uh, on my page when my boy is in bed, um, so it is for me often a combination of both, and I think that's really useful. I I do believe that if you can go outside and experience something, mm-hmm. be heart to heart with nature in a, in that moment, there's something really super powerful about that. But yeah, I really don't like to box the definition too much because I right. I feel that there is there's often limitations to time, uh, mobility, and all these things, and and if photographs is the way that helps you make that connection, then that's perfect.
0: I do that when I do some of the drawing I do outside. I will take a photograph either before or during, just so in case something happens that I have it. What I've tried to do recently as well, and this leads to your zooming in, zooming out, is trying to take a really close picture of the flower or the object that I'm working on, because there may be a spider that lives inside that flower. Yes. And it's those things that you're going to miss that you yeah. may never see again. Um, and trying to get that kind of macro shot of the micro world uh, is something that can be really engaging that you discover later on. And it's like, oh, you're drawing your flower and you realize I caught a spider in it. Now you yes. have that, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I have a story about that, actually. <laughs> awesome. So I had a basil plant that had just gone completely wild and it had it was attracting all these bees and it was just an, an amazing thing. And I thought, I'm going to capture the flowers in my nature journal. And because it was a herb and it was at my home, I just snipped off like the flower head and I brought it inside to draw. And I opened up the, I can't remember if it was on the flower or the leaf, but anyway, I found this spider and I just disregarded the flower. That wasn't interesting to me anymore because this spider was amazing and it was white, white, its body was white but it was almost trans- it was translucent so I could almost see through its body it was amazing but then the thing that was amazing to me was that there was a tiny spider on the big white spider and this little tiny one was brown and I drew that in my journal and one thing in nature journaling is that we ask a lot of questions and we don't try all the time to answer our questions it's fine just to throw them out and because nature journaling in is really all about being curious so often the page will be filled with questions that some may have answers some may not and so i drew this big white spider i did it on toned paper and i was so happy to see this spider and this tiny little spider on top of it and it just sat in my con- uh, un- subconscious for a while and then Later on I was reading about this spider and I came to realise that that tiny minuscule brown spider on top of this giant white one was the male. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I had no idea that the, the um, sexual dimorphism was so extreme in these spiders. But, um, so this was just one of those times when I went out and I was going to uh, – my intention was to draw the flower, but then I found something infinitely more interesting in this random spider that I found with his t- tiny, tiny mate.
0: <laughs> that's fantastic. And I love that. <laughs> I love that story. Like, I, I think there are a few apps that we use out in the field now where you can just take a photo of something and it helps identify it for you, which is yes. fantastic because now you have the words that you can use to describe what you're seeing, And uh, yes. that's so cool. I had, you taught me something as well.
1: I- <laughs> this is the good thing about Nature journaling is you just make these discoveries that you never would have thought about. You never would have thought, oh, I'll just research this particular spider. But because it's captured your imagination, it's captured your fascination, just soak in the learning. It's wonderful.
0: So you've got a son? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's four years old. He's four. And you do this with him in the field?
1: Yes, Yes, I do. Yesterday, Just yesterday, he said, let's go nature journaling. And so we go outside and sit together. Most often he starts painting his own body and that's completely yeah, right. fine. Um, but he sits with me while I do it and he does it too sometimes. And he often likes to draw what I'm drawing. He'll like look at my page. but we But we do this thing where we just talk about nature and I talked before about not wanting to box the definition of nature journaling too much because with young children, I really strongly believe that, especially children who are pre-writing age, that talking with an adult or a caregiver about nature is its own form of nature journaling. And so with young ones, I always do this thing where I say, what can you notice? Wow, what do you wonder about that? And we just start to have this engaging conversation about nature and I really strongly feel that in that way of interacting with nature, getting curious, asking questions, we are in a way inscribing that experience into the child and so my boy was talking about butcher birds and noisy miners and these birds before, you know, before he could say many other words he was saying the names of birds, just because we we talk about it. And I think that's a really big part of it when you're interacting with young children.
0: That's cool. And in some ways, we're doing an audio journal right now about our nature journal, totally. right? Yeah, Yeah. So, so does your son want to do a podcast?
1: <laughs> Sometimes he sits on my lap and we do the editing together. And oh, really? Then he, yeah, he likes that. That's
0: awesome. <laughs> it must be a real challenge kind of managing that. So do you have any pointers for somebody who's who may have kids that are, you know, three, four, five, six years old and having them integrated as part of that experience outside in drawing and painting.
1: Yeah, you're right. That can be really tough to find the time. As you know, parenting is an all-consuming job. And so doing it with them is great. Having Having a little kit that you can just grab and go is so good because when you're a parent – you know, the house is a mess, the kids are crying because they haven't eaten and things are often crazy. And so you want to make things as smooth as possible. So you want to have a little bag by the front door that's got a paint set, a sketchbook and a pen, whatever it is you like to use so that you can grab it and go. You don't want to be thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great to do some nature journaling, but where's my kit? Where's my paintbrush? And walking around grabbing everything. So if you have something set up, A way that you can just quickly get up and go when the inspiration strikes—that is one really good way to do it. Another way is to just be outside. So set up a mat on the front lawn or wherever in in a park. Just be out there and sit and and talk with your child about it. But in terms of a personal nature journaling practice, uh, when my son was a lot littler, that's when I did a lot of nature journaling. At home at night when he was asleep, because it is really hard to get to get time to actually focus on your page, and so sometimes I've been doing it with him right from the start. But the opportunity for me to get something significant down on the page in the field was really limited when he was littler. So I would take my sketchbook and I would make a few marks (laughs) and take a photo, and then do a lot of work at home when he was asleep and. So as your child gets older, the opportunities for you to make more marks outdoors will will grow, but being gentle and acknowledging that, yeah, this is something you can do together to a point and it will be messy and your child will paint themselves and possibly want to paint on your nature journal page as well. (laughs) Um, And then finding the time in the evening or whenever you have a space To dedicate some time for your own journaling from photographs or or from little um, there's this hashtag on Instagram that I love called pocket hitchhikers and that just means like little nature treasures that you stash in your pocket when you're on a walk (laughs) so I do a lot I do a lot of pocket hitchhike sketches so I'll find a fascinating feather or a fascinating stone and stash that in my pocket and then in the evening when he's asleep I Make a journal page exploring that.
0: That's awesome. I have a bunch of those. I have acorns. I have a a tooth from a moose here.
1: What? That
0: that I'm going to to draw at some point. Um, I found it on a beach, but...
1: The thing about nature journaling with an international community is that I get excited about the treasures in other places and people get excited about nature in Australia. And it reminds us that... Our own nearby nature that we've come to think of as very normal is actually wildly fascinating. So when you mentioned acorns, it used to be like one of my life's goals to see an acorn because we don't have oak trees here in Australia in general, and so acorns were always some some amazing little treasure that I wanted to see. And I I saw them in New Zealand and I've seen them in France now, but um, for most people in uh, North America or in other places in Europe, that's just an everyday thing, you know. And often I see people, nature journaling, hummingbirds, and hummingbirds to me are so out of this world, fascinating and exciting. And for other people, they're, they're just very common and they see them at their feeder every day. And so that's cool to say to other people, whoa, look what you've got to see. That's so exciting. And it reminds them, oh, yeah, that is amazing. And they will look at my pages, and I'm drawing, you know, very large parrots and cockatoos and, you know, the, the visitors that are in my garden are rainbow lorikeets and these parrots that are wildly interesting to other people. And it reminds me, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing to see that, and I need to remember that. So that's one cool thing about this international exchange.
0: That's a good point. I mean, it, it, there's nothing better to highlight the diversity of of the animals in this world, the plants, and the people through something as simple as, as nature journaling.
1: That's mm-hmm. wonderful.
0: Now, before, I want to ask you about tools, so we're going to dive into tools, but I wanted to ask you a question about, so your son is four now, mm-hmm. right? You know, at, at some point soon enough, my daughter just turned 19 on Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. At some, some point soon enough, he's going to be 14. What do you think Thank you're going to miss most about journaling with him now? What do you think is... What is it about this experience, do you think, if people are thinking about it themselves, what are you going to miss most about the date? you know, tomorrow when you go nature drilling with him in 10 years?
1: Yeah, that is a really interesting question. And part of it, I think, is that he is still in that phase where everything is exciting. And I think by the time he's 14, he will probably have the world's around him you know he'll have other focuses he'll probably want to play video games or whatever it is and Mm -hmm. he will have brought in that adult tendency of thinking things are mundane when they are not and young children have this amazement because the world is new to them because they're discovering new things it's so natural for children to be amazed and he helps me to remember to be amazed as well and I I've told this story before but I was sitting on the lawn with him and he we were nature journaling and he just had this amazing like he had this intake of breath and he said mom I didn't realize grass was so beautiful and I thought he's got it (laughs) like yes grass is beautiful and we we forget that and I worry i I think that by the time he's 14, he'll probably have forgotten that grass is beautiful. and <laughs> But maybe maybe if we keep doing it together, he will have practiced that and, and be able to tap into that place where he's remembering that.
0: That's a really good point. And maybe, maybe he could write it down at this point, right? So that yeah. he can look back and not only see the pictures, yeah. but once again, with the, the advantage of nature drilling, see the text there as well. How would you describe grass? That's, that's yeah. beautiful.
1: One thing that I advise to do and that I do with my son, when you're nature journaling together, if they're uh, of the age where they can't yet write things down, you can ask them, can I, draw, can I write that down on your page? I always ask because that is their piece and I, I would never want to impose anything on his creative expression. But if he's happy for me to do it, I'll write down what he Says about what he's seeing, and that's a useful thing to capture a memory or a thought that he had. And I remember we we often do this thing together where we look at colours and we will try and match the colours that we see on the page. And I remember he did he had a pink, a particular pink, th- uh, colour that he put down on the page. And I said, Would you like me to write about that? And he said. It reminds me of the yucky strawberry crackers I ate, <laughs> which I just am so happy that I captured that because it was so beautiful that he is bringing in, like, it reminds me of this and yeah, that he's tapping into his sensory awareness. And I just loved that I captured that That's awesome. quote from him. That's funny.
0: <laughs> so when you're nature journaling, what kind of tools are you going for as a matter of, are you using a sketchbook? Are you reaching for uh, graphite pencil and then doing watercolor? Or are you doing colored pencil markers? Like what are your, what's your kit?
1: Yeah. So I, when I'm teaching nature journaling, I always say it doesn't matter what you use. You just need something to make marks with and something to make marks on. And so whatever feels good to you is, is the best tool. And, uh, there's a a Nature Journal educator called John Muir Laws, who's a really big influence on the community. And he always says the best, because you get all these questions about like, what's the best sketchbook to use? And he says, the best sketchbook is the one that you take with you. So it, it is about finding the tools that work for you that make you feel good. And for me, I sort of settled on for field sketching uh, a fine liner. And I used to use a fine liner that was really fine, like 005 And I found myself getting really fussy with a really thin pen. So now I get a fatter pen, not very big, but fatter than that. So I think I usually use uh, 0.3 fineliner. And so that's waterproof. And I will do my initial sketches with that. And then I go over with watercolor. So I have a field kit, uh, field sketching uh, watercolor set. And those two, those are the two things that I usually take. And you can like, you can add more stuff, but I generally just do that. And I generally, because nature journaling, as artists, we often have the tendency to want to make a perfect picture, and th- this can be really problematic because it takes you out of the moment and engaging with the with the subject or whatever you're looking at, because you start to be in the head, you start to want to make a perfect picture and then you get anxious about it and it changes into something else it changes into an art exercise and i really feel that nature journaling shouldn't be an art exercise unless that's what lights you up unless that's what you're going for and in that case that's fine but for me it's about exploring curiosity and connecting with nature and i find that when i get anxious about what i'm creating It takes me away from that experience. So one thing that I've altered is to have a thicker pen so that I don't get so fussy with details. And the second one is that I never draw in the field with a pencil because I don't want to be able to rub it out. And so I use just go in with ink with the fineliner so that my my mistakes in, in air quotes are there, but that's completely fine. It helps me not be fussy about making a perfect picture. So a watercolor set and a a fine liner uh, so some people a lot of people use water brushes because they're portable, and it's if uh, your listeners haven't heard of water brushes, they're like a paintbrush with water inside the barrel so that you fill it up and you don't have to have an extra water container and you just squeeze it and a little drop of water comes out so you can activate your paints that way and it's very portable, but I find i don't really like them i don't like the way they feel i don't like the way they distribute water and so i have a little com- uh collapsible water container mm-hmm. that i use and i'll just fill it from my water bottle or from the beach uh, from the ocean if i'm at the beach or from a from the riverside if i'm by a water source and i just have a travel paintbrush and, and away i go
0: <laughs> that's fun do you have more than one sketchbook or are you working from the same one all the time? Or
1: Oh, Mike, I, I have a bit of a sketchbook problem. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I,
0: this was part of the intervention, so just, <laughs> just, yeah. just let it out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I'm not alone in this addiction to buying sketchbooks, um, but I have one of every cu- kind. <laughs> and each of them has about 20 pages in the front, filled and the rest is blank because I've moved on to the next one. But it, no, <laughs> I definitely have. <laughs> do you have the same problem? Tell me.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you can see behind me here, but you can because my mic's in the way, but I think I have, I'll just move it for a sec.
1: Oh, yes. There you go. You have the same addiction. That's my,
0: that, that's, that's not the collection. I've got about 30 over there. So
1: <laughs> you understand me. I do. I like I it. <laughs> um. So I Have done a lot of experimenting with papers because, so as you know, like different papers behave differently with different media. And so I started off my very first nature journal was just a normal cartridge paper sketchbook, and I had fun with that, but it wasn't reacting well to the watercolor, and so. It was buckling and the pages weren't sitting flat. And so then from there, I started experimenting with journals that had watercolor paper. And you can get some very heavy duty papers in sketchbooks, but then of course, the, you only have 12 pages or something because the paper is very thick. And so then I would try something in between or mixed media paper or toned paper. And so, or this big or this, big, you know, your, yeah. all the different sizes and formats. And so I have a lot of unfinished sketchbooks and I would like to get more um, methodical about it because then if I'm looking back on seasonal changes or something, it's it's useful to have things in one place, but I don't generally practice what I preach. I just <laughs> <laughs> I've got them. And often I'm just grabbing any old thing that's closest to me when, I, when I'm heading out the door. So I'd like to be more methodical and stick to one sketchbook, but I don't.
0: <laughs> well, it's I would agree, like I've run into that problem with a sketchbook and, and I don't, like anyone who's done watercolor and if you buy the wrong paper and you hit it with water and it buckles, yeah. Yeah. don't stop painting or drawing. It's just, you've got the wrong tool. And people say you could draw on anything and it's, it's true to some degree, but you put watercolor on a, on a, on a hot press paper so it runs all over the place and it's really thin and it buckles. It's, it doesn't feel good. Um, yes. So don't give up on it. I, I would agree. Like, I've, I've got all kinds of books. I think I've settled on what I like to use now, but I do have a, a, a sketchbook that I use for graphite. And I do have a sketchbook I use for colored pencil, and I have other ones that I use for watercolor. And I feel like I'm a bit more organized in my mind that way. Yes. Yes. Uh, but it does mean if I'm going out to the park to draw, I may bring three sketchbooks because I'm not sure if <laughs> I'm doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. The, I totally get that. And the thing with nature journaling is that we do a bunch of things in one place. So we are not only, uh, watercoloring, if you were just using watercolor, then you would just get a watercolor sketchbook, but because we're writing as well, uh, that complicates the issue. So when you have a very thick, uh, cold press paper, it's great for watercolor, but then you want to write some notes and your notes go all squiggly and wiggly so uh, because of the texture of the paper. Mm-hmm. And so that's when it gets complicated. And so I have actually settled on a favorite sketchbook, but, it's, but I do. I've got 20, 20 other ones that are half finished.
0: <laughs> yeah, my daughter just asked me for a sketchbook and I'm like, hmm, I'll see if I can find one. <laughs> 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 Knowing that I probably have twenty five or thirty. <laughs> <get to> <laughs> so uh,
1: I love talking with people who have the same art supply addiction.
0: <laughs> well, I think I think every artist is an art supply collector at heart. Like, yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the same with I've I've been on a journey to find the perfect pencil. I've arrived there. It took me a while. I've been on a journey to find the best best watercolor brush. I think I've arrived at that point. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah It takes some experimentation. It does. Got to be right. Have you you ever done digital work? Have you ever worked with um, Procreate or any of the tablets or anything like that?
1: I haven't, but I've been hearing a lot about it, and I see some amazing things done using Procreate, and I'm fascinated by it, and also I'm resisting it because I already spend too much time in front of the computer, and I don't want to do anything that takes me away from nature and a connection with nature in the moment and I feel like maybe a screen would do that but maybe not I I see a lot of nature journalists who who are actually nature journaling on the tablet and it looks amazing and so I have this push-pull feeling about it like I'm really interested to experiment and at the same time I'm thinking no stay away from screens so tell, tell me about your experience
0: <laughs> I I've done some nature journaling outside, but I love drawing on my iPad. I recently got a, uh, something called the Sketchboard Pro, which allows you to have a much larger surface, and your iPad kind of is embedded in the middle, so it makes it a much much more fun experience. It's not as, as um, mobile, but it is a really nice way to kind of hold it and rest your arm on it, and the new iPad has a much brighter screen as opposed to the older version, so it's much easier to see outside. It's just different for me. Like I, I've done a lot of digital work. I will not stop doing either. Like uh, mm-hmm. for me, digital and and people always say this. the funny thing about digital is I will spend it could just be an hour in procreate drawing, and in procreate, the action to undo something you've done is you tap the screen two fingers. I have done that on, in my paper sketchbooks <laughs> so many times, or) I'm I'm doing the zoom action where you pinch to zoom because I can't see <laughs> what page. I yeah I, I I don't have my glasses with me and I'm trying to get into that pencil mark and so I'm sc- uh um
1: Isn't the brain a funny thing you get into is. a pen I, that makes me laugh so much
0: It is that I keep thinking well that means I need to be putting more time on digital I guess cuz my brain likes it better <laughs> Um I I love the scratchiness and we'll talk about this one I'm on your podcast as well but i I would encourage you to, to try it at some point, and if you want to chat about it either before or during that experience, let me know because yeah, yeah yeah I do love it
1: yeah, cool
0: Yep. and and back to your point, I think that even if you don't have a child having a go-to kit, um, like a a get out of town to paint kit as opposed to a prepper kit yes. um is really is really good. Like having all those the, the pencils or whatever else you're doing to have that all in a single bag, um, it does make it a whole lot easier. Do you ever bring your kit to a a non kind of nature location? So as opposed to going to like a park or somewhere else, you're going out and you're doing some shopping or you're going to visit family or something. Do you bring your kit with you?
1: I. Sometimes do. I have a little, I have a very small one and I can put that in my handbag and I sometimes do. But as a parent, it's so hard to find those moments. Before I was a parent, I used to do that often. And I used to sketch at the waiting room of a doctor's office or whatever it was, but there's just so small, such a small amount of time as a parent. And so I generally don't do that often these days. I do have a little notebook and I write ideas in it. and I have my notebook with me all the time. But um, a sketchbook, not so much anymore. But I definitely used to do that before I became a parent. And I used to do it when I was waiting because I was one of those people that said I will never have a mobile phone. I used to think they were insane and that they took us away from real life. And I used to be really staunch and I would say, I'm not having one. They're awful. And so I was the only one At the doctor's office or wherever, waiting in line, wherever, that didn't have something to occupy (laughs) me. So I would always sketch in those situations. And then, of course, the world, you know, catches up with you and you just have to have a mobile phone these days. And so I'm just as, you know, attached to it as anyone else is now. But um, for a long time, I was one of those. I will never have one of those (laughs) devices. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's, um, we rely on them heavily, like, you know, even for identifying plants. And I just ordered the new iphone 13 pro because it has a really good macro camera camera yes and i'm like i need a good macro Uh, that isn't a big camera right that still needs to fit into that little thing that you're going to carry in the woods so yes yeah (laughs) is there so so as part of this let's extend this nature journaling a little bit further because we talked about the kit and your experience uh, including your your experience with your child you've done teaching Mm -hmm. um around this as well have you taught kids as well as parents?
1: Yes. So I've taught all age groups. And for some reason, a lot of my work seems to be with kindergarten groups and very young children. And with that age group, I often focus on the sensory experience. And so we will talk about like, we'll I'll get some nature treasures and I'll have a box there of things they can touch and smell and listen to. And so we'll really focus on Uh, experiencing nature with the senses when they're that young and sometimes I like to have like a bag and I'll put a nature treasure in the bag and they will put their hand in without looking at it and and describe what they feel and guess what that is and so it becomes this fun game of just like experiencing nature through our senses I feel like our senses are just this amazing gift we've been given and we can focus on one or the other and it opens up so much more in terms of like what we can experience because as I said before, we get so good at blocking out information, I guess, because we're in this world and we can be bombarded with information. And so we have to block out some of it just to just to live a normal life. And so you have this ability that you can tune in and out of different senses. And so it's fun to do that with kids. Like tune into your sense of touch. What does that feel like? what does it remind you of? What is it doing to your skin, you know? and Or you can tune in with them. What do you hear? A really fun thing to do is a sound map where you sit with a group of children and you talk about what you hear and it might be far away or close by. It might be behind you or in front or to the side. And you can have them call out what they're hearing and and we can put that down on the page with words or pictures and Yeah, so with the young ones, it's very much a sensory experience. Uh, But I've done all age groups, and all age groups are different. And so as you get older and the children are able to write, it becomes another thing. And so I mentioned John Muir Laws before. John Muir Laws has these amazing prompts that he has popularized in the Nature Journal circles. And the prompts are three things that we can respond to. So we say, uh, I notice. So that's all about observations. I notice what's around me. And you can notice things with all your senses. And you can capture that with words, pictures, and numbers. I notice. I wonder. That's the second prompt. So that's generating questions. It helps us generate questions. I wonder why this leaf is this way. Why does it have serrated edges? Why has it got a really long tip? Why is it this color? So we can start to generate questions by answering this prompt. I wonder. And questions are such a fun thing to do with kids because they just have so many questions, as you know. And then the third prompt is, "It reminds me of," and I find kids are really wonderful at responding to this prompt. It reminds me of, and it might might remind them of the strawberry yucky crackers they ate, but it might remind them of grandma's garden, or it might remind them of a feeling they had, or uh, it might remind them of their favorite pillowcase, or uh they so that there's something about that age group when the children are just starting to write and and also b- before they've started to feel fear and self-criticism about <laughs> about making art mm-hmm. they have this this amazing wonderment that they can just capture in these intricate nature journal pages it's a really really fun thing to do with them and yeah it just opens them up to thinking in a new way
0: what has Teaching the younger kids taught you in going through that experience? What is something that strikes you as something that you maybe walked away from that that you didn't expect to receive?
1: I think that we underestimate kids. We underestimate their ability to make connections and wonder things and come up with solutions. And I think spending time with children, you really understand that we can't underestimate kids. They have an amazing ability to understand, they have an amazing. Ability to reason and to, you know, make connections between things. And that's, I think that's the main thing that I take away from kids is just like they can make me stand back and say, wow, yeah, I would never have thought of that. That's really cool. That we can't, we just need to give kids the ability to, you know, the opportunity to express themselves. And they, they just blow your mind with the things that they come up with.
0: That's cool. I, uh, as a parent, I can appreciate the, the, uh, the ability for children to, to rise above their age and shock you with yeah. the knowledge and the connections they can make. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've, you've taken this nature journaling pretty seriously, right? Like you've <laughs> started a week of yes. journaling. Do you want to talk about that experience and, and what you did yeah. with
1: that? Yeah. So I just had this idea one day. I remember the moment I had the idea of sitting at the kitchen table and I just thought, wouldn't it be cool to have an, an international celebration for nature Journaling because I have this con- these connections with people from all over the world, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to come together to celebrate this and you know hear about all these different uh, weeks this is I can't think of any now, but you know that <laughs> you know, all these international weeks, and I thought, why not Nature Journaling week? And so I just... You know, I had this thought and then I thought, is that too audacious? Can you really <laughs> create a week, I don't know. And so I reached out to a, <laughs> a nature journaling friend who lives in England and she and I said, "I've got this idea. Do you think it's possible?" And she said, "It absolutely is possible." And we together just made this happen and we just put it out there and the response to it was amazing. And we had so the first one was 2020 and we had so many people joining in from all around the world, and we had different a different prompt for each day, and each day a different thing to focus on. And we also had uh, an offering from a teacher, so a, someone who would sort of start us off. It was a class or a video presentation just to start us off on those prompts for the day. And then people would come together on social media and share what they what they had created and it was just the most joyful thing and then this year we did it again and we did different prompts and it was again just the most wonderful coming together of people from all around the world and one thing that I really want to help do is to extend nature journaling into places where their language is other than English so There's a lot of Nature Journal resources out there in English, and I think that making them accessible in other languages is important. And so, just as a step towards that, I had the How to Participate in Nature Journaling Week page on the website translated into different languages, and it ended up that there was 14 different languages there on the website. Wow. And it really made a difference, and there was three different Indian languages on there, and the uptake of nature journaling week in India was huge and it ended up that there was a write-up in a Tamil newspaper about it in Tamil and people were joining in from all over India and it was just a such a joyful thing and I had another page on that website and it is uh, what does nature journaling mean to me what does nature journaling mean to you and it was a series of videos from people all over the world and they're speaking in their own language about what nature journaling means to them. And for me, this page on the website is just so special because we have people speaking in Zulu, we have people speaking in Spanish, we have people speaking in Japanese. And I just feel like when you're able to express yourself in your own language, it means so much more you can say you can speak from your heart and so i had all these videos captioned in english so that others can english speakers can hear what what's being said but i really felt strongly that that i wanted people to be able to have the opportunity to express themselves in their own language and so it has just been the most amazing thing and yeah it's made connections to different teachers and different uh, nature journalers across the world and I just think that there's something really special about connecting across the world because of uh, the, partly this thing that I told you before about having a reminder that my nearby nature is fascinating to someone in Canada or in India or in Indonesia and their nature is fascinating to me so to be able to share something important And also to be reminded that our nearby nature is fascinating, is something cool that's come out of that.
0: I hope you're going to have one in 2022.
1: Yes, we are. It's going to be a yearly thing. (laughs) Yeah, That's awesome.
0: (laughs) I went and looked at it uh, because I heard you talk about it before. And I went and looked at it. I was so impressed with the content and the layout and the material. I was expecting something smaller. But you are really a tour de force when it comes to nature journaling. Um, (laughs) And so I just thank you. For everyone who's listening, who's exploring this, because I think that's a a fantastic idea, fantastic opportunity. And you say, as you said, community is so important, especially around art and expression in this way, and just learning how other people are doing it, what they're doing, viewing what, you know, what are people drawing in India, or what are they drawing in New Zealand or Australia, or whatever the case. It's, it's cool. I think it's wonderful that you did that.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So... The next thing, because you probably weren't busy enough, you decided to start a podcast. (laughs) So, um, and that's how I found you. And so I wanted you to talk about that because we're both in the podcast business. You're doing it every week versus me Mm. doing it every two weeks. And I just want to hear about how you made the leap or why you made the leap to to, uh, becoming a podcast.
1: Yeah. And this story is connected with nature journaling week so the first uh the first year 2020, 2020 i started off building the website with a blog and the blog was i invited nature journalers from all around the world to contribute to a blog and to just e- express something some part of nature journaling that they wanted to share with others and so some were tutorials on how to or this or that some were just an expression of what nature journaling means to them or how they got into it or and these stories were so fascinating to me that I was so excited to see people from all around the world sharing these stories, but I wanted to know more than they could contain in a blog and each of these stories has a story behind it, and so it felt like just the tip of the iceberg that someone presented a Blog that was all about nature journaling fire ecology and after a fire. And I thought, I want to know more. I want to know more and more and more. This felt like just a little teaser, but I wanted to know the story behind the story. And so I wondered, how can I find that out? How can I make a platform that uh, will be able to, in long form, understand more about each of these amazing stories? And so I thought, a podcast. And then And it's interesting because you might think that a podcast about something so visual Mm -hmm. wouldn't work. But as you know, you can easily make a podcast about art or something visual. And so I started it uh, after Nature Journaling Week, International Nature Journaling Week last year, and I have just loved it. It's been amazing. And so I chased up some of the stories from the folks who contributed to the blog I chase them up to learn more and now I just interview people that I'm fascinated with and that I think my listeners will be interested in hearing and it's just been the most amazing joy and connecting with people from all around the world and I did one with a nature journaler in Indonesia and we had a translator and I put out one podcast in English and another in Indonesian through the translator. And so it's just opened up this amazing opportunity to connect again with people across the world and learn about all the different ways people are are doing this.
0: That's incredible. And you've done 57. How, you know, I know some of the answers to this, but (laughs) it's not an easy feat to create a podcast, to lay it out, to publish it. And then as soon as you publish it, think about the next one. It's almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have much of a opportunity to enjoy. Really? Yeah, that's, it. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and, and you know, ah. <laughs> no, <laughs> are you ready for next time? Um, how has that been for you? Is it, it, it wouldn't be a chore if you're still doing it, but it, it's work. And yeah. so how's that been? Would you recommend anyone else doing it?
1: Yeah, so I think I went into it really a little bit naive about how much time it takes each week and I rushed into it. I put out four episodes in the beginning like to start off and then I went into this rhythm of doing it each week and then there was a point in maybe, I don't know, after 15 episodes I thought, whoa, This is really hard (laughs) Um, because there's the, you know, there's the researching, then there's the interviewing, then there's the editing, which takes a really long time, and then uh, publishing and then promoting. And the whole thing just takes a really long time each week. And so at that point I thought, I don't know if I can do it at this pace. (laughs) And it was at that point that I actually created a Patreon page. And so I Put that out there that this project takes a whole lot of energy and time each week. It's it takes time away from other projects that might be creating income. If you love the podcast, maybe consider supporting on Patreon for a small a small amount, a dollar, two dollars a month. And I had a bunch of people support the podcast in that way, and it's made it easier to keep going it still takes a long time but to know that there's people behind me supporting me and yeah it it makes it makes it easier to keep going and it makes it it makes it something that is part of my income stream and so it's easier to justify although it does take a huge amount of time. And <laughs> I often um, am, you know, up at midnight editing, midnight Sunday night editing Monday's podcast. So it, right. it's it's a challenge, but it's something that I love doing. <laughs> That's awesome. Do
0: you, do you hear from many listeners? Do you get feedback? I from do.
1: You? Oh my goodness.
0: Do you have a, a story or something that you can share from one of your listeners?
1: I have a bunch of listeners that have got in touch with me and said, you know, this is a huge part of my week and or I listened to it on the way to work. And at the time I realized that, oh, this is actually something that people value is that I was late putting out a podcast on Monday morning. I put it out on Monday evening, but before I could put it out. So in that window of time, someone wrote to me and said no podcast episode today <laughs> because she listens on the way to work and I thought oh people actually integrating this into their weeks and that felt really good and that's really motivating and that's really something that you know if I ever think ah, oh, I'm gonna pack this in I can't do it it's too hard or too time-consuming then I think about those people who have the rhythm of their week which includes the podcast and then I just keep going <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Yeah, it's, um, it is great to hear. I mean, uh, I have a Patreon as well, but, and, and it's great because it, it does. I mean, there's a cost associated with this. There's a cost, there's yeah. a loss in that you can't be doing other things. But it is so wonderful to hear from the people listening to this podcast and hearing the difference it makes. And as you said, they look forward to this. They look forward yes. to whatever it is. They just want to hear the voice, they want to do something else, drive to work draw, paint, whatever they're doing. Yes, um, yes.
1: Podcasts are so good for painting too. I find, yes. I've been listening to yours while I paint actually. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Do you know, one funny story about podca- uh, podcast feedback is that, so f- through Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review. and But I, for some reason, can't see reviews that are left outside of right. Australia. So I can see Australian reviews and they're lovely. But I knew people were reviewing uh, in North America. And so I said to my friend who lives over there, she's Australian, I said, can you look at the Apple reviews and tell me if if they're there? And she just screenshotted them and she sent so many back to me. It was like this flood of incredibly positive words about the podcast and affirmation that this is something that people really value. And she just kept on sending me sending me and sending me these screenshots. And it was Such a joy to see. So if you if you enjoy this podcast, if you're enjoy enjoying drawing inspiration, go over to Apple and leave Mike a review and he will see it. And (laughs) it it brings it brings renewed energy, doesn't it? It it brings renewed purpose. So Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) There's a plug for you. No, I just mean to say, like, if you enjoy something, the creator who's creating it. Is, is just a person like working really hard behind the scenes. And so any sort of words of affirmation that this is something you value mm. are so so good for that person, for, so good for helping move forward and, and gain, bring energy in those times of, of low energy.
0: Yeah, there was – so I would – I had the same thing where I was only seeing Canadian reviews and then I realised – and I'm a techie, I didn't even make the connection, but it was like, oh, there's, there's reviews here on, on the US site. So I'm using a service called uh, ChartAble, which um, mm. you can use, and it tracks your site downloads and that, but it will show you in a weekly digest reviews from other parts of the world and where your rankings nice. are and stuff. So uh, that's a little tip that I've gonna sit. found to just stay connected and be thankful for these people. Because oftentimes, you know, they'll write a review and then they will reach out to you through Instagram or email or something. And it's nice to to get all the words from the person, right? As opposed to them yeah. sending you the review they just published, So Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it is really important. So, you know, go go to Bethan's site, <laughs> find your <laughs> podcast, and rate it and leave a comment. Um, because it it does mean a lot to us to hear to it hear does. from the audience and and know that you're that we're making. Some difference in your in yeah your because day, you in your can week.
1: spend you can spend you know eight hours a week putting out something and it goes off it's like sending it off and then you have no idea sometimes some weeks you have no idea what people are thinking or feeling when they receive it and so hearing that feedback is really useful too
0: yeah I agree I agree <laughs> is there I'm not going to ask you about a favorite guest. Um <laughs> but I'm what what has doing the podcast taught you about nature journaling? What have you learned from it?
1: I've learned that everyone does it in their own way. And just as we all have different personalities, different ways of seeing the world, everyone has a different nature journal. And even if you nature journal sitting beside someone journaling the exact same thing your expressions are different and so that's what i've learned through the podcast is everybody has a different story and everyone's story is interesting sometimes i have had the experience where i've asked someone to be on the podcast and not necessarily known much about them because they don't have a website or they don't have much of a web presence or whatever the reason and it doesn't matter because everyone's story is so deeply interesting. When you start listening to someone, when you start asking questions and listening, everyone has a beautiful, amazing, interesting story. So that's what I've learned. Everyone's story is there if you just take the time to sit and listen.
0: That's wonderful. Is every week okay for you? Are you still going to stick to yeah, the schedule?
1: It is a big investment in time. But I really love the rhythm of it. I love that I can say it's Monday morning and that feels good for now and next year my son will be at school so I'll have more time and yeah, I think I think I'm gonna stick with it and we'll see how it goes.
0: <laughs> Would you recommend an artist start a podcast?
1: Do you know, when I thought when I announced to my family that I was gonna start a podcast, my my mum sent me this that it was it was a send-up it was a joke and it was all these australian celebrities and they were all saying like very seriously like how serious the pandemic was and all this stuff we've been going through and they said but just promise me please please and they were all saying this please and they did this montage and they said please don't start a podcast (laughs) (laughs) and i was really offended because it was like this um passionate passion project that i wanted to pursue and i I couldn't believe my mum sent me this. And, but she, really it was just to say like everyone's starting a podcast now and, and I confided in a friend of mine who has a podcast. She's a French teacher and I said to her like, oh, my feelings were hurt about this, like this thing that my mum had sent. And she said everyone should have a podcast. If you have a business, you should have a podcast. And so for her, her advice was that your podcast – Helps you deepen what you're doing. It helps you, you know, it exposes you to your network, your group, your community. And I loved what she said because, yeah, everyone should have a podcast. (laughs) Of course, because you can only deepen your experience, you can only deepen your connection. And you, even if you're doing a solo show where you're not interviewing, but you're just exploring some topic mm-hmm. on your own you d- deeply think about that subject in a way that you might not have before and so you're learning on the job you're learning more about the subject you're presenting on and yeah of course i think it's a great idea if someone has the if someone has the inclination to do it and the time yeah it's a it's a wonderful experience it has uh, allowed me to speak with people i never would have it's allowed me to speak with some of my you know, greatest influences as an artist or as a nature journaler. And it's been, it's been the best. It's been so good. I would definitely recommend it if someone's thinking about it. That's awesome.
0: Now, you use uh, social media. I always like to talk about social media because I think it can be challenging for some. And I think having that conversation is healthy for people to hear. Yes. How do you find dealing with social media when I'm looking at your Instagram feed? Um, And what you're sharing, are you thoughtful about what you're sharing in that, you know, am I showing finished pieces? I'm showing works in progress. How do you look at social media for you? And beyond your Instagram, are you sharing elsewhere? So what's your strategy there?
1: Yeah, I think social media is like one of those sensitive things in life. It can be used in a really positive way, or it can be like the worst time drain that leaves you feeling rotten. And so I've been really cautious about it. Um, but Instagram is my main port of contact with my community. I do sort of use Facebook, just but it's just that I p- post the same piece on Facebook and I generally don't like that as a platform. So I stick with Instagram. I feel like it's a happier, safer place. I don't mm-hmm. know. I just get this feeling like, the community there is there for good reasons, within my circle anyway. And so that was my first place that I started posting things. And there is an amazing, amazing, loving, supportive, positive community of nature journalists and artists on Instagram. And I think you can look in the wrong places, but if you look in the right places, it can be a hugely positive experience. I've made friendships through Instagram that will last a lifetime that are, you know, among my deepest friendships. And so when I post on Instagram, I'm really conscious not to go down any rabbit holes or rabbit holes that aren't useful. And so I will engage with nature journalists and artists in a way that feels positive to me. And I generally have like a I give myself a time limit, and so I try not to go over my time limit so that I'm not spending hours and hours each day there. But I I do find that it can be a really positive experience. And so in in terms of what I'm posting there, I really feel that it's important to post not only perfect things because we can easily give off the wrong impression that uh, every page of my sketchbook is perfect when – That's all that I'm posting there. And so I'm really careful just to post whatever I'm working on, whether it's a scrappy page or if it's a finished art piece. Uh, So I generally post a lot of different things there. Um, But with that community, I feel like I am posting from the heart. A lot of myself is out there. And so I think when you do that, you attract people who – also live from the heart, and so you know you start to have very lovely engagements with people, and yeah, I, I think that so- social media can can be wonderful or terrible, and I feel like I have managed to integrate it into my life in a way that leaves it be wonderful, and yeah, there, there is a very very special nature journaling community there ready to support each other ready to share ideas and uplift each other and yeah it's a special thing when you find that
0: That's awesome Yeah you have a beautiful Instagram feed so I would highly recommend people Thank check you. it out The <laughs> uh, so how often are you nature journaling are you doing it every day
1: I would like to do it every day and I'm not because I am primarily parenting that's my main focus at the moment Yes Um but every every few days, certainly. And often it's just a note here, a note there, something that I see out the window or in the garden. And I I feel like I often get asked questions about like, how do you integrate it into your life? Like it takes so much time. But I think that if we shift the way we think about it, uh, we don't have to make an entire nature journal spread in one go because Most of us don't have that much time, Mm -hmm. but you can add a little something to a page. And so if you add a little something and then a little something the next day and a little something like three days later to the same page, you're going to build up a wonderful, a wonderful exploration of nature near you in that way that doesn't involve a lot of time. So uh, that's often how I do it, like little piece here, a little piece there. And that helps me stay connected with nature. but within the limitations of, of the time that I have as a parent.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I don't. I think people feel too guilty that, you know, I didn't do something today, whether that's yes. exercise, eating well, or drawing. Yes. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the world isn't going to end. It'll be fine. Uh, we're all busy doing things, and um, it's, it's cool that you have the guilt if you do have it because that means it's, it's, <laughs> it's a passion. So embrace and there, it.
1: There's, <laughs> there's one wonderful way to keep a nature journal that is called perpetual journaling. And so it means that you separate your page. And uh, this, this method of journaling was created by an artist called Lara Cole-Gastinger, and she sets out the page, so one page or one spread per week of the year. And you just go and you put one tiny thing down that you notice around you during that week. So if time is a a push for you, you can usually find like 10, 15 minutes to put something small on a page in one week. And then the next week, you put something else down on the next page. And in this way, you end up having like an entry for each week of the year. And then the next year, you go back to the beginning of the journal and you start On the first week and put a little something on the same page that you did before so in the first week of january you'll already have had a little entry and then you'll put another one on the same page and so lara's yeah lara's journal she kept the same one for like 16 years i think and it became this rich exploration of what she saw around her at home during that week of the year. And you can revisit, oh, this is the time that that was flowering and it's flowering a little later this year. And it, it, It's just a wonderful way to keep journaling if time is, is an issue because you just make a little entry and it changes your mindset because you're thinking, I'm going to have this book for years and so there's no pressure to fill it up because I'll fill it up over 10 years. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to think, Ah, oh, I need to fill a whole page today.
0: What a brilliant idea. I like that. And that maybe leads to my next question, which maybe we can consider an answer for, and that is (laughs) if someone listening hasn't started a nature journal, what what would be kind of some easy steps for them to get into?
1: Mm, So I would, uh, like we said before, I would get, treat yourself to a special kit. So if you have a, a favorite journal or a journal that you'd like to start, get that and... Get whatever you think you might use. And your kit evolves over time. And But get something to start off and make it feel a little bit special. And then I really feel like what's important is to make it doable. So you don't want to think, I need to go to the national park that's an hour drive from here. I'll find some amazing things there. You have to make it doable for you on a daily or a weekly basis so driving to the national park isn't going to happen more than you know once every few months or whatever but you can notice nature near you and i think that's the biggest tip is to do it as close to you as possible and so if you can step outside and find some nature on a balcony or in a garden it doesn't matter the size of your garden or if you have uh, a park that's five minutes walk from you. That's the place to start. And the thing about nature journaling that is so wonderful is that it helps you see the most amazing discoveries in the things that you see every day. And so <laughs> during COVID, we had this as, as a nature journal community, John Mule Laws put out this idea that you can nature journal in your refrigerator. And so we did these pages that were exploring what's in the refrigerator because that came from nature. Your carrots were once growing in the ground and a tomato is an incredible thing to explore when you turn on this intentional curiosity. So if you feel like you don't have nature or nature is far from you, open up the refrigerator and see what's there. And I remember doing this page of a nature journal That was all the things that I found in there. And so I got out my jeweler's loop and my microscope and I was comparing broccoli and cauliflower under a microscope and it was so fascinating. And I was drawing and describing a rotting mung bean sprout that I had in my refrigerator. And I love that nature is so close to us when we start looking and so I would advise that's where to start. Start as close to home as you can. And if that means in the refrigerator, that's fine. If that means stepping outside and looking up and seeing birds that visit you, that's, that's the place to start.
0: Unless they're magpies. In that case, right.
1: <laughs> in which case, put your hat on. <laughs> that's right. Your spiky hat. <laughs>
0: so uh, before we go into homework, uh, Beth and I, I'm impressed because you've had all these dreams and you've made them a reality and shared them with the world. And I think that's wonderful. I'm wondering if you can, like, do you have anything out of a dream that's unrealized for you? Um, is there anything you want to talk about that you're thinking, I'd love to do that?
1: Yes, there are heaps. I, I You probably have the same thing, but I have way more ideas than I have time for. And so... I've got a whole lot of things that I'm working towards and one of them is that I want to share Australia with others in other places. And so a big dream that I have is to create a book, a nature journaling book that involves showing nature, Australian nature, because Australia has so many weird and wonderful things, nature that's really unique. And so I'm working on creating a book that is sharing that, sharing that through Nature Journal pages.
0: That would be awesome. You'll have to, (laughs) uh, when that happens, not if, but when that happens, you have to let me know. Uh, That would be wonderful to see. (laughs) So I do this with all guests. I always ask for a little bit of homework because I love that engagement and and hearing what you would consider uh, people doing to move their creative journey forward. What do you have for homework for the listeners?
1: I love that you ask this. I love that because it's so practical, because it, it, it's a way to engage, like you might hear a conversation and then want to do the next thing. And so I would say my homework is to find, and I talked a bit about this already, but go outside with something to write with and something to write on and go outside and see if you can turn on this intentional curiosity and it's you will find that it's something that you get better at that comes more naturally as you do it so step outside turn on intentional curiosity and see what you can notice and that might involve looking at something that you are really familiar with like it might be a plant just outside your door that you walk past every day but sit with that plant or whatever speaks to you and see what comes up, and you can use words, pictures, and numbers to capture what you're noticing on paper. And I also invite you to use the prompts, I notice, I wonder, and it reminds me of. These are really wonderful prompts to start engaging with whatever it is. So if it's a very familiar plant that you have outside, Sit with it and see if you've got observations that come up, and the observations are a really natural thing that uh, that come easily because we use our senses every day. Because we can see things, because we can, and then we can tune into other senses. So start observing. What can you see? What can you hear? What can you smell? Does the plant have a smell? Um, just tune into those observations, and then start thinking about questions. And this is when intentional curiosity really comes to life. So questioning, why is this leaf this shape? Why is this texture? Is there a reason for that? And just write those questions down. So observations, questions, and connections. So making connections is really fun and it helps get the brain thinking in a different way. So making connections, what does this, what does it remind me of? What is What in my life experience, where have I come across something like this before? And bring in those three things, observations, questions, and connections, and just see what comes up. See how intentional curiosity and sitting with something that you feel you know, but you don't know. Because as soon as you go down this rabbit hole of exploration, it just opens out into this wonderful world of curiosity and exploration, and I think it's going to be, I think it's going to open up a whole new world. So that's my invitation.
0: That's cool. I really like that. And if you need some queuing up, just hit some of the back catalog with, with Bethan's <laughs> podcast and uh, you'll be primed. I was listening to uh, some of your recent ones and every single one is just solid gold when it comes to uh, embracing this, uh, this effort and this beautiful um, pastime and, and being able to engage nature in your life. So i Thank you so much for everything you're doing.
1: Thank you, Mike. I feel the same about your podcast. I'm so happy we've made this connection and this, this sharing of, of ideas and collaborating is just very special. So I, I'm grateful to you too.
0: That's awesome. So Bethan, uh, we talked about so many things, the podcast and, and website and all that. So I wanted to ask, where can people best find you online?
1: Yeah, so my website is journalingwithnature.com. That's my personal website, and all the podcasts live there, plus uh, my journal pages and blog and a whole bunch of other stuff. And also, uh, naturejournalingweek.com is the website I created for International Nature Journaling Week, and that has a huge amount of resources. It's got recorded workshops, it's got, it's got a whole lot of stuff. So, that's a good place to visit too. And if you want to join me on Instagram, it is my handle is at journalingwithnature. So those are the three main places that you can find me online.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, I think if you're listening to this, you've, you've got to add Bethan's materials, website, podcast, all of that to what you consume, because it's, it's just wonderful.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: So I wanted to um, thank you. It was... Uh, I'm not going to say challenging, but interesting to to connect our sides of the world to have this conversation. But I think it worked out really well. And obviously, we're both best equipped to handle the podcast. So <laughs> I thank you so much for coming on and agreeing to this kind of collaboration, this crossover episode that we're doing. And once again, I, I, depending on how you listen to it, head over to Beth and send, you can hear me on there and then hit her back catalog because it is just filled with wonderful, wonderful, wonderful episodes and guests and information. So, thank you so much for Beth and for, uh, for coming on the podcast. It was such a pleasure meeting uh, you.
1: Thank you, Mike. It's just been a joy. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks. Take care of yourself. Show notes, including links to everything Beth and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm/slash/63. I'll also include a direct link to the episode on her podcast where Beth and I spoke. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.